Happy Easter, everyone. Um, Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Praise God. It's great, isn't it, to be able to meet together and to celebrate on this resurrection day. And um, it was a great privilege for me last night. Some of you, many of you will know that uh, we as a church partner with Paolo and Claudia as they reach out to the Portuguese-speaking congregation or Portuguese-speaking people in Norwich. Uh, And last night we had a service which was uh, also with people from Great Yarmouth and Bishop Stortford. I've got a couple of pictures here of us sharing in that time. I didn't understand very much of what was going on. I have to confess, but I I think it was really good. Uh, and, And actually there's something about worship that takes you beyond language because we're celebrating the same God. And it was great in the diversity that we had there last night and the diversity that we have here today to be able to celebrate wherever we have come from, uh, whatever our life story, the same is true. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And so we praise God together. Those of you that have been around in church over uh, the recent months will know that we have a verse of the year, a verse that we use to help reflect on our journey and to give us a a way forward and to keep reflecting. And it's this verse from Matthew 28, 19 to 20, uh, the last words recorded by Matthew, spoken by Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you until the very end of the age. If we're to be disciples of Christ, we need to know him as well as possible. And that's some of what we're doing at the minute in the series that we have been taking over Lent. Uh, and we conclude today on Easter Sunday, is looking at some of the ways Jesus is described in the New Testament. Uh, And today we come to Jesus being described as the last Adam. In verse 22, it says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. We didn't read it, but later on he continues as we get to verse 45. So it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Uh, And this is going to help shape what we look at this morning as we come to focus together, as we do. So let's pray. Our God, thank you that we can meet on this glorious Easter Sunday when we celebrate your victory, that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And now we come and we Look into your word and pray that as we do so, we will experience the power of your presence, resurrection hope, resurrection power in our lives this morning. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. On the screen, this is a picture of Ben and Jackie Belknap uh, from Salt Lake City, and also there is their son, Leo. Um, They are great American football fans, uh, and they spent some time saving up money for season tickets so they could go to the Utah American football uh, every time there was a home match for them. 
Uh, it cost over $1,000, and so they saved up over a period of time, and they locked the money in a cabinet. And um, eventually, they managed to raise all of that money, $1,060, uh, and they took it out of the cabinet uh, and placed it on the kitchen work surface, ready to take it to pay, I think it was one of their parents who had paid in advance for them. A little while later, they went to get that money to discover the envelope that it was in was missing. And so they had a frantic search of the house. Uh, eventually, they had an idea of where it might be. And this is what the mum said. Uh, Leo helps me to shred junk mail and just things with our name on it or important documents. We want to get rid of it. Uh, and so they went to the shredder. And sure enough, Leo had shred the money. Um, it's not all bad news because apparently they can send it to the US Treasury Department. And what happens is that they will seek to put it together. And a spokesperson for the US Treasury Department said, bag it up, mail it to DC, and in one to two years, you'll get your money back. There's still hope for them. Just imagine for a moment that feeling. You've saved up for something that you really want. And then before your eyes, it's shredded. It's taken away from you. And I suggest that and suggest you think like that because if you can imagine how that feels, you can perhaps identify with what Paul is feeling as he is writing to the Corinthians at this time. Our reading started from verse 12 where we heard this, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? You see, right at the heart of the Christian message is the resurrection of Jesus. And yet there were people in the church at Corinth who, who were saying, actually, there was no resurrection whatsoever. It's like the power of the gospel was shredded from their lives. And Paul as we read this chapter, has passion to describe to them, to explain to them, no, that is not so. It is not like that. Uh, and what I want to do in this time today is to think about, I want to be somebody who does not have the power and the hope of the resurrection shredded from my life. I want to live in the light of Easter Sunday and the good news that Christ is risen. And as I've looked at this passage this week, it's inspired me and encouraged me. And I hope it does the same for you as we look at it together. Let's first of all look at the importance of the resurrection. We didn't read these verses, we didn't read the whole chapter, but Paul starts off this chapter talking about the resurrection of Christ. Uh, and this is what he says. For what I received, I pa passed on to you as of first importance. It's the most important thing that we could pass on to you. That's what he's saying. That Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. The first important thing that they had to hear, Christ died and Christ rose again. And he goes on to describe resurrection appearances, those people Jesus appeared to. 
You see, he wants them to understand the resurrection of Christ isn't just something that we, we talk about. It's actually something that happened because there are eyewitnesses to it. And some of them are still alive. That's what he wanted them to know as a first thing. But then as he goes on, he talks about why it is so important, the importance of the resurrection. So let's take a few moments looking at what he says. First of all, in verse 14, it's basically saying, without it, our faith is useless. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. Our faith is useless if Christ has not been risen, but he has, so it isn't. You see, we live in a society where actually lots of people will say, believe whatever you like. It's up to you what you believe. Every belief is equally valid. If it works for you, that's great. And on Easter Sunday, we need to remind ourselves that actually this is not so. Let, let me put this in some context. First of all, uh, this springs from toleration. And toleration is really important. Nobody should be persecuted. Nobody should suffer because of the faith that they have. But where we have taken it to is an intellectual tolerance that says there is no truth or what is true for you is true for you and what is true for me is true for you. And actually we've lost something there. Because either Christ rose from the dead and it changes everything or he didn't. Let us hold to this and remember on Easter Sunday that fundamentally Christianity stands or falls on whether the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened. And I come here, and I am here because I believe it to be so. And actually, when you know that, faith is everything. Preaching is worthwhile. If Christ did not rise from the dead, my standing here this morning is completely worthless. And you being here this morning, and your faith, and my faith, is worthless. But Christ is risen. Hallelujah. He goes on to say this. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. He's linking here the very fact that what we believe is that there is hope beyond death. Where does that hope come from? Jesus is risen as the first fruits. We heard this in verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus' resurrection is not a one-off thing. The promise of Scripture is that all of us will be raised to life with Christ eternal. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. He goes on more in verse 17. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. You see, Christ came to bridge the gap between us and God. Going back, and I'll talk about this in a few moments, about the first Adam. He rejected God's ways. There was a barrier. There was separation between humanity and God because we choose not to go God's way. And that had to be dealt with. And Jesus came and dealt with it. And he promised that we would be forgiven so that we might be put right with Christ. Uh, and at one of the healings, um, I, I think from memory, it was when uh, it, there was the layman who was lowered through the roof. 
one of the scribes and Pharisees say, who can forgive sins but God alone when Jesus says your sins are forgiven? And he's absolutely right in that. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus forgave sins. How can we believe that Jesus forgave sins? Well, he died for us. How do we know he had the power to forgive our sins? Because he rose again. How can you rise if you're not God? And so the resurrection affirms the words of Jesus. He says that we can be forgiven, that all that would separate us from the love of God is dealt with once and for all. The resurrection is important. And finally, there's a lot more we could say about this as well, but he also says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. You know, without the resurrection, we would, be to be, we would be pitied. Quite simply because we would be living our lives, giving ourselves for something that isn't true. And many people base their lives, live their lives around the resurrection power and what Jesus has done in their lives. And so therefore, actually, we're not to be pitied at all. The resurrection means that if anything, we can be envied. And I've heard people who have said to me, I wish I could have your faith because it makes that difference. This is what the resurrection does. This is the importance of the resurrection. Uh, and having shared that, that helps us to come in light of what Paul is saying. Uh, and there's so much that we could talk about in this passage. There's many different ways we could go, but we're just going to focus this morning on what he says about Adam. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ we will all be made alive. And then in verse 45, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. And there are two things that I'm going to pick out from that. The first of things is this, that we should not try and do things in our own strength. And secondly, living with an eternal perspective. Those are the two things that we're going to look at this morning. I came across this newspaper headline uh, a little while ago says, could we soon reverse death, U.S. company, to start trials reawakening the dead in Latin America? Uh, and the article went on to explain how the company might try and do that. And uh, it's to do with people who were, um, well, it depends on what your definition of death is as to kind of where this comes in. But here's another one that I came across from last year, another uh, newspaper headline. They said this, first human frozen by cryonics will be brought back to life in just 10 years. So cryonics is the process by um, which people are, are frozen. I think it's through liquid nitrogen. And um, the idea being that they will be frozen in the state that they are. And then at some point in the future, when technology allows, they will be brought back to life. And this was the president of one of the companies saying, well, this is actually what he said. Cryonically, bringing someone back to life should definitely be doable in 100 years. But it could be as soon as 10. Uh, and it struck me. Uh, with that. Both of these things, they're looking at the problem of death. Paul writes this, the last enemy to be defeated is death. You know, death, let's be clear about this, is the enemy that we face. Uh, I've recognized that this week. My, my week has actually been shaped very much uh, around the sadness of death. Um, on Tuesday, I was in Pershaw taking the funeral of 
uh, somebody, one of the deacons at my previous church, he was just 57 when he died from leukemia. On Wednesday, we were here at the church uh, for Mark Horbury's funeral, somebody in their 60s. On Thursday, I I heard my form tutor from when I was at secondary school had died. So so my week has been very much shaped around the thoughts of death, and some of that shapes uh, what we're talking about today. But to celebrate with hope and to look at it with hope rather than just sadness. And so human beings have this habit of death is the enemy. Let's try and do something about it. We'll try and put off death. We'll try and make it so that actually if we freeze people, when technology allows, we can bring them back to life again. Here is an example of what humans have always been doing. Humans are always trying to take things into their own hands. You know, um, in verse 45, we, we heard the first man, Adam, became a living being. Uh, And one of the earliest stories in Genesis is of Adam and Eve trying to take things into their own hands. You're in the Garden of Eden. You can eat from any tree that you like, except for this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, And before long, the serpent comes along and tempts them. And what is the temptation that comes to Adam and Eve? It's this. God does not want you to eat from this tree because if you do, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God. That's the temptation. To become like God means to take control of your own life, to be in control, to take things into your own hands. And Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. They took things into their own hands. And where did it lead? To separation from God. It it first was shown because no longer could they walk with God in the garden. They had to hide because of shame. That's what our wrongdoing does to us. It brings us shame. makes us feel worthless. Like we can't look at other people. We don't want to be in their presence. And Adam and Eve took themselves out of God's presence. And eventually they had to leave the garden. There was separation between human beings and God. And right through human history, we can read it in the Bible again and again. We see the problems that happen when people try and take things into their own hands. And it's still going on today in our world. We take things into our own hands. Actually, I wonder how many of us, if we reflected on our own lives, would have to say, actually, I know there are times when I do things in my own strength and I take things into my own hands. I I wonder if we reflected how many of us would have to be, if we were being completely honest, would look at things and say, sometimes when we pray, what I'm doing is I'm asking God to bless my plans, not trying to seek what God's plans are. I wonder how many of us would have, if we were to be completely honest, would look and say, actually, I can see there are times in my life when I am squeezing God out of my life. Because life is just busy, I'm getting on doing things, and I haven't given that time to Him. I'm living in my own strength. Let me give you a, a couple of examples of how this might practically work 
themselves out. I'm going to refer a number of times to the fact that I was um, at a funeral on Tuesday and I was leading uh, a funeral for somebody who was a friend of mine. Um, uh, and as I was preparing on the Monday to think about what am I going to say, there was that moment of just that helpless feeling in me. Was like, I can't do this in my strength, Lord. I really need yours. Now, let me explain that. You know, I've, I've written uh, and taken part in many funerals over the years, uh, and I believe that actually I can probably write uh, a decent funeral message. But actually what I was very aware of was going into this situation. First of all, he would have a number of work colleagues there who weren't Christians. I didn't know what was going through people's minds as well, those who were Christians, because I was aware, for example, that uh, a number of them would have been praying for his healing and he hadn't been healed. Would there be people who needed to hear something uh, about what happened in this situation who may be struggling in their faith because of this? Would there be people there who just needed to hear the gospel message again of hope that there is beyond death? I didn't know exactly what I should say, so I had to pray about it. Say, Lord, I can't write this. I need you to do it. Please do. I need your help. Uh, and, and an example of this where it, it's worked, again, was brought to me on, uh, from the funeral on Wednesday with, with Mark. And um, when I'd met up with Rosemary and was talking about it, Mark uh, came here a few weeks before his death, and Paul was preaching on that day. Uh, and she said, I don't know what Paul said during the sermon, but what I do know is, is that afterwards he had a peace about him, and he was reconciled to the situation in a way he hadn't been before. Now, I haven't asked Paul this, but I suspect if I did, you probably wouldn't know what you said either. He's shaking his head there. And that's what God does when we rely on his strength. You see, our gifts and our talents and our wisdom can take us so far, but when we do it with God, it takes us a whole lot further because he knows what we cannot possibly know. And that can happen in so many ways. The conversations that we have with people, the way that we act, the things that we do, the person that we feel we should just call round and see, the word of encouragement that we offer to someone, when Christ is living in us and we have the resurrection power in our lives, where we stop trying to live in our own strength, where we stop trying to take things into our own hands and he takes over, it's amazing what he can do. That's something of what it means to be living in resurrection hope and resurrection power. And on this day of Easter Sunday, I want to come before God again and say, Lord, I'm sorry for those times when I try and live in my own strength, when I try and take things into my own hands, when I try to be like God in my life. I'm sorry. And Lord, I invite you to be God. I invite you to be God. And I submit to you and I seek to live in your strength. And I seek to walk in your ways. As you lead me in life. Maybe that's a prayer that you want to pray this day as well. Taking things into our own hands. The second thing that I want to talk about, well, <laughs> I came across this uh, this notice on uh, a park bench as I was looking through things, and it says this, in loving memory of Nicole Campbell, who never saw a dog and didn't smile. 
Now, you can take that in two ways. Either, Nicole, whenever she saw a dog, she smiled. Or, you can read it and say, she never saw a dog, and she didn't smile either. A different perspective. Uh, and of course, uh, as we come to this passage, what Paul is talking about is he's talking about different perspectives of death. One, day, one perspective is this, that some in the Corinthian church had, is that actually this life is all that there is. There is nothing more beyond. And we didn't read these verses, but it goes on with Paul saying, um, he quotes them as, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. You see, actually what they were seeing is that there was nothing more than this life, so you might as well eat and drink and be merry. Make the most of this life. We live in a culture which encourages us to do this. Make the most of this life. This is all there is. But actually, actually there is something more beyond. There's something more. And so he says, don't be misled. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. You see, the gospel message, the resurrection of Christ, is meant to change the way that we live. We need to live differently. We need to live with an eternal perspective. And that's what I want to talk about a little. Again, we could talk about this in so many different ways. And there's so much in this passage, but this is perhaps because of the week that I've had, something that has been placed on my heart. Gaining an eternal perspective. And I want to particularly talk about prayer. Uh, I said earlier on about um, uh, Andy who, who died. People were praying for him. He was just in his 50s as he, as he died. And um, the family shared with me some of his thoughts as he was moving through this. And they said, actually, he really moved closer to Christ during this time and during his illness. Uh, and they shared some things that he said and um, they'd written down. And they were almost like proverbs. Uh, and my favorite one of things that he said, because I could visualize him uh, saying it and hear him saying it. He said this, to live is Christ... And to die is gain, so either way I win. Uh, and that first part, to live is Christ and to die is gain, uh, quoting from Paul in his letter to the Philippians, saying that actually to live is for Christ, and, and actually if you die, you go and be with Christ, so that's a gain. Uh, and, and this is what Andy was saying, he said, either way I win. He wanted to live and continue to be with his family, but if he didn't, he knew he would be with Christ. And that's a win as well. And that changes the way we view things. This is somebody who not only listened to the words, but understood them and accepted them into his life and brought him hope and peace during those very difficult days. The eternal perspective that I want to talk about is particularly to do with prayer. Because... Um, when we pray, like for him, and I suspect many of us here will have prayed for other people and not seen them healed. Uh, and the question comes in those times, why, why do some people get healed and why do some people not? Uh, and in these moments, I just want to share some of my understanding of some of the things that I think are going on in this situation. Uh, and the first part of it is this. You know, I believe when we're praying for somebody's healing, the fullest answer to that is actually not when they are healed in this lifetime. Because actually what happens in this lifetime is we're praying for death to be delayed. 
You know, Jesus rose, led people to rise from the dead. Lazarus, for example, or Jairus' daughter. They were raised from the dead. Where are they now? They've died again. You see, when we're actually praying for people and praying for them to be healed, the fullest answer to our prayers, I believe, is not that death is delayed, because we all die eventually, but that death is defeated. That's what we're actually praying for. Because the hope of the gospel is that one day we shall all be raised together. Paul says that the body is sown perishable, but raised imperishable. So the fullest answer to our prayer is not that we're praying just for a delay in death, which is all that we can have in this lifetime. The fullest answer to our prayer is that death is defeated. And what we're praying for now is we are praying for a taste of heaven here on earth. And I want a taste of heaven here on earth, so I will keep praying for miracles and for people to be healed. Because I want to taste something of heaven here on earth. But you know what also happened for him in that situation is this. He was experiencing a closeness to God that he had never experienced before. That too is a taste of heaven here on earth. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, Look, now I see in part, but one day I will see face to face. You know, the experience that we have of the presence of Christ in this world is only a foretaste of what there will be in heaven. And so when we're praying for somebody's healing, what we're also praying for is that they will actually experience the presence of Christ because one day they will experience it in full. And so whilst we didn't see an answer to healing for Andy in terms of his death being delayed in this world, he did have a taste of the closeness of the presence of Jesus with him. And now he is celebrating in the victory with Christ who has raised from the dead and will raise us. He has been sown imperishable, but raised imperishable. And I think for me, as I look at this, it changes everything. Because my perspective is not just about what happens in this world. I look about the promise of what is to be as well. Because the greatest promise there is, is that not that death is delayed, but that death is defeated. This is the fullest answer to our prayers, because I believe in some amazing way, we could look at in Revelation 5, but we don't have time to go into that now, but this is where I I kind of read into this, that actually all the prayers that we pray are stored up by God for that final day. And all of those prayers are answered and used in that final way to bring about the ultimate victory, because God includes us in his plans. God makes us a part of his purposes. And in some way, far beyond my understanding, the prayers that we offer in hope will be used to ensure that victory over death. Death is not delayed. Death is defeated. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Our resurrection hope is in him. Praise God. And this is our Easter hope. So we need to stop taking things into our own hands. We need to stop trying to live in our own strength and say, God, I live for you. I try to give and submit all my self-will that I might live for you. My hope is in you, Jesus Christ, raised, who lived, who died, who rose again and lives forever. Our hope, our power, our strength.
Amen.